Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Titalia, a white woman. Hi, Lenya. Oh, are we recording? Oh, we're on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> are we live? We're live. Okay. Hi, Alex. <laughs> so we are having this conversation to debrief our feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a friend and she's going to remain nameless, but I was just on Zoom with her colleague. She was like, there's going to be sex in the White House again because you know those two have sex, that there's love in the White House, not like the last group where she would hit his hand away, don't touch me. <laughs> there are so many memes about that right now. Oh my God, so many memes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you see the way he ran when he was about to give his speech? I was like, oh, you're a little cutie. He's so cute. Oh, well, and then when he was giving his speech, though, and he paused, I was very nervous that Joe was going to have a stroke. And I'm like, please do not stroke out right now. He's not going to have a stroke. He's, I'm worried. He's... I'm like, I go back and forth. I'm worried about assassination attempts. Like, I'm worried about... This, he's actually really healthy, apparently. Well, he looks really healthy, doesn't no, he? No, they're about to release his medical records. Or he could just tweet like Trump did and say, I am the healthiest president ever. How bad must you be to get fired via Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, wow, the Trump show is going for the ratings. <laughs> We're going for the ratings this week. Wow. And CNN, they're not having any of it anymore. They are calling him out as a, t- like, for tantrum, but they're not giving him as much airtime, thank goodness. Well, that's what I loved. I actually was on the New York Times this morning, and I was like, I can't find what crazy thing Trump did today. Oh, this is what it feels like yeah. for news to be normal. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have an anxiety attack this morning. I have to say the task force that he has assembled for COVID is a very, like, they're being serious. And you know, on the DL, everybody's like, Pfizer definitely waited to release this information. Oh, no, I think it was tremendous timing to release the information. And also to say that it's still months away. I also thought that him having the guy that was fired by Trump on the task force is like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're back. Science <laughs> yeah. matters. Uh-huh. I generally have a sigh of relief for everything, but yeah. you and I are having this conversation today. I sent Lenya a whole host of photos of my party on Saturday night, which was not appropriate for professional watching because I had a joint in my mouth. <laughs> I... I painted a Trump pinata orange, put a Hitler mustache on him, and then our friends and I called out the things we were excited that were going to go away, like misogyny, border wall, police violence, and all sorts of things, graffitied the body, and then beat it to a pulp. We beat that thing to a pulp. And there are photographs that I will not share 
with very many people, but they make me extremely happy. Oh, they made me happy too. And I slept well, (laughs) partly because I was high and drunk, but also just because. And then I woke up on Sunday depressed as Mm. fuck. So with that, you were still angry. You were a little angry Saturday too, though. I, I was angry from Friday. All right. I've been angry since Friday. I'm still a little annoyed. There's so many, um, I, I, you know, so many like Instagram posts. I needed to actually take a break from social media because it's making me angrier. Yeah. Well, social media, you can't live and die by social media. I know, but if I mean, I'm, I was trying to. So now, obviously, the next job is to help Georgia flip the Senate. Oh, yeah. So I'm on social media because that's part of what I, I'm doing to help with this race. So that that was, you know, I mean, and then it's just like, it's then it comes to me again, how this race again hinges on black women activists on the ground doing the work. And this was what was making, you know, just angering me all weekend because well, it's it's always just like, you know, I don't know. It comes down to the black vote generally, because we're talking about urban centers. We're talking about Michigan. We're talking about Georgia. We're talking about the black vote. I know. I mean, there's so much more. I mean, it's, it's, it's generalizing, but it's coming down to black women making the profit again. Indigenous women came out like crazy. Okay. Props to our indigenous community because they are being so adversely affected by the virus and they still came out and voted. I can't remember what tribe, I think it was the Navajo tribe. They registered 74,000 people, 72,000 came out to vote. So I want, we have to also, we have to also give a lot of props and we have to give props to the Mexican Latino community because they also really organize and the Puerto Rican. I'm happy that everybody voted. I mean, here's the, right. So before we start parsing the vote, I'm just excited that we had as many voters, even for the other side, we'll talk about that separately, but just this much engagement. Hello, everybody. This is what it should be every four years. This is, I know we're like, oh, this is historic. This is amazing. No, this is what it should be like every all the time. Not so angry. And then, and maybe with not quite as much at stake, but the engagement, Mm -hmm. this is what it should be. This should be the norm. This is what people fought for. Mm -hmm. So that everybody has their right to vote. And you're right. It doesn't even matter. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Republican or Democrat, just the fact that people in droves in the middle of a pandemic found a way to, you know, have their voices heard is amazing. We are so fortunate in California with the mail-in voting. But as you know, I worked the polls and I came into contact with thousands of people over those five days who, you know, came to vote. And that's amazing. Let's talk about the 55% of white women who voted for Trump, because that was the first thing that pissed you off. Yes. Well, because it was up 2% from 2016. And, and my thoughts, I, I don't know, maybe because you and I are just, we're, we're in a bubble, but I felt like we were bridging the gap. I felt like, you know, it's happening. White women are 
you know, they, they're, they're getting on this train because this during the whole uprising over the summer, there were so many women that were joining Rachel Cargill's The Great Unlearn that were subscribing to Check Your Privilege. You know, most of those communities are white women. So I was thinking, okay, these followers, they, th- these women, they're on our side. This is it. We're going to turn this country around. It's going to be women who do this. And then to find out that it was 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump. It, it, I had to pause because I make a lot of space for white women. I know you do. I make a lot of space for them. And I realized in that moment that I'm giving too much. I'm giving too much. Well, is there a way, it's sort of what we texted. Is there a way for you to think about the 55% over the nation and then you're still here in this bubble and most of the white women that you're in contact with, the percentage would not. Well, I don't know. I have more than 12 girlfriends. So think about it. At least half of them voted secretly for Trump. No, I don't think those stats add up. I'm going to fight with you on that because your 12 friends are not from across the nation. Your 12 friends are from here. Not all of them are from here. I just, I don't think so. Here's the thing, because you, we self-select. Like, I just don't even have, even if you look at social media on Facebook, I've eliminated most people, not every Republican, but pretty much every Trump voter who is outspoken and anyone who was stood in all lives matter categories. Like all those people are out of my life if they were ever in my life to begin with. And I've gone so far to even eliminate (laughs) <laughs> those people from my sister's lives, even though she, she <laughs> might not have been like, hey, hey, I'm in a community with not a lot of people. And I'm like, nope, they got to go. So <laughs> so you think of your 12 people, I think all 12 of your people voted for Biden. Now, I, I think if we were to think of those 12 people have relatives who, who maybe did, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I have relatives. I have a relative who is a Trump supporter. Yeah, I have relatives. I have I have cousins. I have male cousins, cousins that I grew up with, like extremely close to. I'm well, not close now, but close to his children who voted for Trump. I am not close to this person. This person is the husband of a cousin. And they fall into another category that disappointed me. The black men that voted for Trump. Yeah, what is that? So I did some research in that article I sent you, which we will link about how Black men have slowly been leaving the Democratic Party since Obama. Okay, did the, the article say why? No, I mean, there's a bit of disenfranchisement, you know, but it didn't, it couldn't really put a pin on it. I think it's misogyny and, and being able to understand that and want to keep that around, right? Because a re, like a reflex to me too, Sure. But don't you think also a part of it might just be what exactly the Trumpian part of the Republican Party stand for, which are the disenfranchised white people against the fake meritocracy of the intellectual elite? It could so be, yes. in the sense that, you know, Barack Obama, the whole idea of like nerds win, like nerds finally won, you know, was that mm-hmm. whole thing, uh, you know, Gore v. Bush was so about like the, the, the popular kid who did no work, you know, W yeah. versus like the nerdy guy who did all the work, you know, and who would win and W won. And then Obama kind of came through and it was like, 
I am somebody who like nerds win, like you do all your homework, you do the right things, you can have fun. I mean, that's what made Barack Obama such an amazing candidate because he was somebody who people, you know, not that I think this should be what people measure by, but Americans do who you want to have a beer with. You know, people said that John Kerry lost because, you know, nobody would want to have a beer with John Kerry. (laughs) I was like, really, this is, this is pathetic that this is the conversation, but I do think people are leaving the democratic party because I think the smears on the democratic party is being a big tent party, but we are also sort of the, we're the college educated party. We're the snooty party. I mean, even AOC, you know, her story is I went to college, I graduated, I worked hard, I graduated college, and then I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm doing a bartending job, but I'm college educated. And there's, I wonder if that isn't some of the, the black man's disenfranchisement with us is that we, there is a narrowing, even though I don't, I think it's projected narrowship. I don't think we are mm-hmm. narrow. I think, I it's, think it's projected you know, as well. Although I have to admit, I'm very pretentious in a lot of ways. I, you know, so I mean, it's like, I'm very aware that, you know, I'm snotty. Like I annoy people left and right with my viewpoints. So that's one of the things I love about you. I know. Maybe I'm snotty too. Maybe. I don't think so. But you know, it's like, even yesterday in my writing group, I had this woman who was really giving me excellent feedback and she was just saying something about people don't usually travel for more than two weeks at a time. And I was like, you mean Americans don't travel for more than two weeks at a time. It was so unnecessary for me to say that, but I had to get it in because (laughs) I'm... Because you're right. <laughs> well, I might I might be right, but I needed to eat my feelings last night after the meal, the meeting, because I felt bad. <laughs> but That's I was true. like, and I really was sitting there. I was like, this is why people hate Democrats because they're confusing me with the average Democrat because I speak out a lot. But I, that isn't true. There's room for many more people besides me. And, but I don't know. I wonder if that's part of the reason the 55% white women though, do give me pause because obviously more people voted. So more yep. racist came out, but also more people who were uninformed and just believed the narrative of the towns they were in voted. So ignorant people. And then people who might really believe that Trump was better for the economy. I just don't. But if you're choosing, and this is what gets interesting to me, because in all this, and I posted something about this on Facebook, while I definitely think Biden needs to cross the aisle mm-hmm. in business, because otherwise we will never move forward. And that is why we voted for Joe. And while I love Bernie and Bernie needs to be a zealot and he needs to keep pressure on, I also wish we would just shut up with fracturing the Democratic Party in the next year or two and just actually unite some unity and get momentum going before we start to, to sort of break down before we even have our wheels on. But that said, on a personal level, I don't want to be in government. I don't want to govern. I want to be me. And everybody's like, oh, can we all be friends now? And I'm like, no. no. Like, if you voted for Trump a second time 
Or if you voted for Trump in 2020 in face of the news in front of you. No, we can't be friends. I don't want to break bread with you. I, I just don't. And it isn't, and it's inexcusable to me. And that's, and people can accuse me of being intolerant and of being hostile, but it is like, I don't think I have to sort of make peace with someone who thinks that it's just their opinion that gay people shouldn't be able to be married. That is like, no, get out of my fucking house. Yeah, I totally understand exactly what you're saying because it, it's an interesting post I'm going to tell you about by Chrissy King where she, you know, she says she spent the weekend feeling joy over everything that happened. And then she, the next morning, she saw a post by, because she's a wellness professional, by another fellow wellness professional who was white. And the wellness coach, I'm going to read the post, said, made a post saying she doesn't talk about politics. Her clients don't need to know who she voted for because what value would it add? She followed up by saying absolutely nothing. And then Chrissy writes, what a privileged ass position to take as a black woman who's consistently advocating for anti-racist in the wellness industry. You have, you've got to be kidding me. I'm so fed up with white women shirking their responsibility of dismantling white supremacy. Being a black woman is inherently political. And if you can't take an anti-racist stance, I'm not comfortable being in a community with you in any capacity. If your core values are not rooted in dismantling white supremacy, I'm not interested. Now, I don't think that she's being rude. I don't think she's being confrontational. I think she's just letting you know. And this is what I'm trying to say is when I said what I said on Instagram, because I did get some pushback. I'm not I'm not trying to be rude. I am not trying to be confrontational. But the fact of the matter is, I just am not holding space anymore for white women. 55% of them obviously thought that the way that this racist government was running was fine. And it wasn't fine. It was definitely not fine for me or my son or my family. And I don't, I'm not holding space. I'm not reaching out the glove because basically white supremacy is something that has to be dismantled within the white community. And it can't be, I can't be responsible or, or help every single time something happens. Isn't it bad enough? Y'all are asking black people now to help with this election, to help with this, to help with that. But then you don't want to extend the courtesy to us to be at the table when it's the when it's time for these kinds of decisions to be made. You're going to vote with your husband or vote with your family and then try to hide behind this saying, oh, I don't I don't talk politics. That's bullshit. And I'm actually not going to spend any more money with any company or anyone that does not divulge their politics. I don't care. I'm with you all the way. Well, what I love most about what you just said, so this is a little love fest, this podcast right now, is that being a Black woman is inherently a political act. And I think that's the sentence that needs to get repeated over and over again. Mm-hmm. Because, and and white women, be, guess what? Being a woman is actually an inherently a political act because we also have to stand in face of harassment, rape, not feeling safe on the streets, things that men never need to think about. So you just need what I think when white women say, why me? Like, why are you, it's white, it's white people. Why not white women? And I really have done a lot of thinking about why it's white women. And it's because, you know what? We should know better Mm -hmm. because white men are the top of the food chain. 
So we've actually experienced misogyny. We actually know what it's like to be expected to follow in line in certain ways where we are considered a political block, although we have very many different viewpoints where laws that men make affect our very bodies. Mm -hmm. And so I think what makes it more deplorable when a woman stands by and says all lives matter or why can't we all just get along now? It's ignoring the idea that race is in everything. So the idea is that, of course, like even for me, like I, I had an argument with another friend who is, who is, and not an argument, it wasn't an argument because she listens to this podcast. It wasn't an argument, but she was mentioning that her daughters at some point went to Chick-fil-A and I was like, what? And you sh- and because Chick-fil-A was always open about mm-hmm. their behavior. They're anti-gay. And they're anti-gay. And I was pissed off. I'm going to tell you once. I went to a Howard Moot Court competition and they served fucking (gasps) Chick-fil-A. And I went and complained. I complained and I didn't eat. Like, so the whole competition, that was the only thing. So the students are arguing and I didn't tell the students anything. I just like let them do whatever they were going to do because they needed to eat and compete. But I just starved and didn't didn't do any because I wasn't even going to eat it I was like are you freaking kidding me and I mentioned it to the administrator and they're like oh we didn't know and I'm like yes what kind of head under the rock do you mean you don't know it was so ridiculous to me but again back to my friend she was like well they don't do it now but you know it opened and it was the first fast food restaurant in our community and I'm like I don't care like I'm I'm sick of the fucking excuses. Yeah. Like, and I don't understand. I, I just I I don't have words right now. I don't have words for it because it annoys me. And I guess again, it really just comes down to like my mother was a rock star because I did not grow up eating green grapes. I did not grow up eating Nestle chocolate. I did not grow up like using Lancome like like skincare products. We protested so many things. And I was the kid in school saying, no, I can't eat your grapes because you know we need to boycott for the migrant workers. It, I mean, it just isn't hard to stay informed and make a choice. And so I absolutely applaud you not shopping. And here's the thing. So here's my question for you. My stepbrother once asked me this question. Because I think I said, like, I'd never go to Walmart. I never, mm-hmm. Domino's, like, I, I have a long list of things I don't do for all those reasons. Same. My investments <laughs> are all social investments. Like, I know where all my investments are. So he said to me, but do you know where your mom and pop store, like, would you go to your mom and pop store, your, like, local bodega? This is when I lived in San Francisco. Would you go down to the bodega if you knew what their political views were? Oh, Yes. I I wouldn't go if it, it was against me, my political views. Yes, right. I well, would so the thing is for me, too. I at the time I would say I don't. This is this is the lawyer of me. I was like I don't have a duty to investigate, but once I know, I have a duty to act. That was the rule that I lived by. Meaning, like, all right, I don't know what the two guys who ran the corner bodega by my house on Bro- Broderick and Sutter what they, what they believed in. But if I ever found out, I would have to act on it. Mm -hmm. That was how I lived my life. And it worked pretty well. But I have to say now with the internet, 
mm-hmm. it's really not that hard to find out where your money goes and where and and if we're going to insist on living in a capitalist nation where where you shop matters then every dollar you spend actually at this point is a political act mm-hmm. and so yeah i'm totally for it yeah and it just means i'm going to have less stuff i'm going to have less stuff which is fine and i'm not going to eat junk food which is fine right this all these things mean really nothing in the big scheme of things. Cause I've got friends who are like, Oh my God, you're not going to buy Nike anymore. I'm like, I'm not going to throw away the shoes that I have. I haven't bought Nike in years, but, but I'm not going to spend any more money. I am finding other ways. You can buy, you know, used, I mean, you're not going to buy used sneakers, but you no, know, I'm not going to buy used anything. Cause you know, that's not my, 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 right, I, I, I mean, I sustainable. True. I know about sustain. I understand about sustainable fashion and we can have a whole episode on that one day, but me, me personally, I have like a weird thing about, you know, wearing things that other people have worn before. Right. So as much as I love the real, real, I'm still struggling with. No, buying. I get it. You know, I I'm have, I, I mean, I sometimes have that, but I do. I mean, my favorite pair of shoes and you're going to get so grossed out. By <laughs> oh God. <laughs> my friend Amy and I used to, you know, San Francisco was a great town. Like you just put stuff on the sidewalk that you didn't want and people took it. Right. <laughs> and this is before bed bugs. I, I, I get that it's different with the bed bug thing, but we were walking down the street and there are these amazing pair of shoes on the street. And they were beautiful, supple leather. It was like a three-inch, like, stacked heel. It was a shoe I would never be able to afford. And they fit me. So they're still my favorite shoes, Linda. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Appreciate my first design, but I wouldn't have gotten them off the street. <laughs> I hope you cleaned them. Um, but my very first pair of designer shoes were a, a used pair of shoes that I got at a vintage store because I couldn't afford any. Yeah. You know, so. I didn't clean my shoes. I put my feet in them. I'm sorry. I. <laughs> oh, Lord, 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 Lord. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> I, oh, the things I got from the sidewalk. I have to read you this quote that someone, again, because I'm on social media all the time, and I've just like saved all these things to talk about with you today. Yeah. There was this quote that this black woman who I follow, her name is Monique Melton. And I thought you would find this interesting. She goes, as a black woman, the 2016 presidential um, election revealed to me the need for new boundaries. And the 2020 election confirmed why those boundaries must be sustained. What did she mean by boundaries? What was she talking about? I think she was talking about white women, allowing them to hold up too much base. Because what happens is, and this is the difference between having um, white girls having friendships and black women having friendships with white women. That What happens is I could begin a friendship with someone whom I don't know, they're politically ambiguous in the beginning because they want to have this kind of conversation with you for whatever reason they want to extend their friendship. And if you press them, they will have then then it becomes an issue of oh but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know i but i i really like you because i'm that black friend quote unquote right and i it took me a, a long time in the last few months during this whole uprising i realized that i am often the black friend right that you could be like oh i'm not racist cuz i have a black friend 
Well, no, I was wondering, like when you said that and I was thinking about the boundaries, I was wondering how hard it must be for a black person to feel like, am I being collected or do you really like me? Yes. I often feel like I'm being collected, me specifically, because of the, the some of the, you know, obviously because some of the places I, I the, the, the type of people I have, I come into contact with. Do you know what I mean? Like if I go to a fashion party in New York, I might be the, well, not anymore, thank God. There's a lot more women in, black women in fashion at a higher level. Because at at, there was a time when, of course, there's lots of black women in fashion, but at that kind of like influencer level, but I'm talking about at the Robin Givens, like the real deal, I am a fashion reporter, or I'm a buyer, or I am a principal stylist level, there was not a lot. But now you, you can go into these parties and you'll see plenty of other black people. It is not a thing. But there was a time when yeah. I was sourcing for a, a particular brand and I would go to these pa- parties and I was the only black person. And, you know, I, I know that uh, the way I dress and the way I, I guess, present myself is more the point. It, it becomes something like I become like a, like a, like a doll or some kind of like a person that everyone sort of wants to seek out their attention for a minute. You know what I mean? I feel like it, I, I want to equate it to being like a Barbie doll where everyone wants to play with that Barbie doll for a moment. I oftentimes wonder if I'm being collected or if this is genuine. And most of the time, I just don't, I, at the, during that part of my life, I did not make a lot of friends. And that was a, that was a big part of my life when I didn't have many friends. I was still living in Australia then. And I had maybe one or two friends, like friends that I would have coffee with or talk to or whatever. And none of them were in the industry. Yeah, it was very difficult living in Australia as a black woman because I often was were you know had these these thoughts going through my mind because there's just so few black people so you know that if you're getting attention you or rather you wonder every single time something what 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 really is going on here where in America there's a million black people. But I still think it happens. I mean even just we talked about it in a previous episode but there was a, a black law professor who wrote about being exhausted from being yes. on every diversity or inclusion committee. But to look at that from a self-worth perspective, you know, when, you've, when you're a, a black woman or a black man or even a person of color and you get put on a diversity committee, are you being put on because of your opinion or because of your scholarship or because of your eloquence or are you being put on because oh well we need the you know the one or the two or the three black people that are on we need to put you on this committee the self-doubt that you must have to filter through I mean is it can breed imposter syndrome it really can breed like feeling of imposter syndrome like do I really belong here I mean I'm really hopeful right now I'm having a moment of hope. I'm a little nervous with like Bernie and AOC getting right out there and just starting to fracture the party because I think we also have to feel all our feelings because I do think there is. You know, I'm not with you on that. You know, when Dave Chappelle like said, you know, said on SNL and I didn't watch the whole thing, but he was like, you know, there are a lot of people feeling like we did four years ago. And and it was, I was like, yeah, but- I- I'm not with you on that. I don't feel like they're fracturing the party. I feel like the party isn't moving forward. I feel like there's all these old 
people in the par- in the Democratic Party that are trying to do politics in a 2000 type of way. And we are in 2020. You know, I, I feel like the AOC and Bernie, as old as Bernie is, are trying to move the party forward and they are resisting. And I feel the fact that they even voiced it on a conference call where the press was listening just goes to show you how stupid and and not progressive they are. I agree, but don't you get a little scared I mean, you know, like I'm all for, you know, I mean, I'm Bernie all the time. I love AOC. I'm not, but my only but is we lost five house seats. Yeah, but that's because they're not, so this is the other thing that I noticed. The Democrats are running their party, they're running their um, elections, not based on the needs of their community. Yes. They're basing it on other things. Like, you know, I don't even actually know, but they're not. How to stay like, in power. The one thing is the AOC is based her politics on the needs of her community. And if every Democrat ran that way, we would run the motherfucking country because we would be listening to our constituents. We are, the, the, there is such a fracture in the, in the party. And I really hope, I, I really hope we can make some inroads because we are at this juncture. I mean, there's obviously a big fracture in the Republican party too. So we are not alone. The Republican party also has a huge problem on their hands and it's being played out on TV. It is our, you know, nightly entertainment now that he's gone because it's entertainment. It's not our lives anymore, but they have a massive problem as well. So I'm not saying that this is only the Democrats, but we need, both parties need to, find a way to be unified so that they can run together better. So does that, no, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, so term limits, term limits is amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think we also need to rethink the Supreme court and there, like, this should not be a lifetime position. I mean, there's so many things, but like, I, 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 there's so many things on the list that of things uh, uh, like camp, campaign finance reform. There's no reason why Jamie Harrison could have, you know, collected all this money and lose the motherfucking election. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. He out, he out fundraised um, see, Lindsey isn't there Graham. Something, isn't there something? So here's, in, this is interesting, right? In a perfect world, I'm not even, I don't know how the details would play out. But if our representatives in Congress were really to cater to their constituencies Mm -hmm. and we had public campaign finance reform Mm -hmm. that prohibited outside money from coming in, would you be for it? Mm -hmm. I'd be so down. Yeah, I think I would too. And because I have to say, like, even though I'm about to go volunteer, and I know you are too, in the Georgia elections. Listen, I, I'm really thinking about going to Georgia. That's, I'm no, really. No, me too. I would give up calling, texting other states, going in camp, carpet bagging, like into other states, if everybody would play fair. Yeah, but that's never going to happen. I know, but I'm trying to be idealistic right now. Like I know, but because- like we're humans. I mean, we're humans and it's just never going to happen. You know what? Humans are inherently horrible. That's why we don't deserve dogs. 
we're just horrible individuals. Look at what we're doing to the planet that is giving us so much. We are horrible. And we have to just understand that. I mean, so my mother is cheering you on right now. That's what she always believed. I, you know, maybe your mother and I would be best friends. You would love my, you would have loved my mother. Okay. We got to end. We got to end this on a better note than the people are horrible. Let's No, but I mean, I, I mean, like, oh, I, I am very hopeful. The fact that you and I didn't even have this discussion about going to Georgia and it, you know, and both of us are thinking this way. Can you imagine how many other people are thinking this way? Yeah. I feel very hopeful about everything right now. That speech that Biden made was everything that we need to hear, especially black women acknowledging us. Yeah. It was amazing. It was. I, I'm actually thinking I need to do something more for the party. I'm thinking I need to put myself out there a, a little bit more. Maybe, I don't know. I got to think about it. You're going to end up running for office or something, aren't you? I'm thinking about it. I'm uh, quite honestly, I really am thinking about it, but not here in California. They don't need me here. I need to go somewhere where I'm needed. But I am thinking about it. It is something down the track. I'm just getting old and I don't want to be one of those old people in the party. The party needs young people. No, that's true. <laughs> but I have to say, compared to the party right now, you're like a baby. <laughs> I know, right? And that is sad. That is so sad. Well, like, but, sometimes I was sitting though and I was, I was thinking about, you know, I don't know. I was having a middle-aged moment and thinking about my life and what my goals were. And I was like, but Joe got his, like the biggest job at 78. What can I do? (laughs) (laughs) But he's a young 78. Let's be real. Oh, he is for sure. But he ran up the steps. (laughs) He ran. I was like, oh my God, that man's going to be fine. (laughs) No, I know. Well, no, he's trim. He wears yeah. the aviator glasses. He's got his his cool dude thing going on. Cool dude thing going on. Yeah. So what do you I, think? We stack the court and Barack Obama gets on. Yeah. I don't want to go there yet, but yes. Right. I don't want to go there yet. I want to first win this Senate race because this is right. so important. We want if uh, if we don't, we we need to give Biden a good chance to make the changes he needs to. And with Mitch McConnell. It's just not going to happen. I agree. You know, so we need to go to Georgia or do whatever we have to do. Listeners, I we need you to get involved because this is so important. If you have relatives in Georgia, talk to them. Yes. Because person-to-person conversations that you know, like a person-to-person conversation with someone you know, that can make the difference. And remember, every vote counts. This election proved that. And on that note, maybe we should end. All right, that sounds perfect. (laughs) Brendan, you have a lot of editing to do. We love you. Next week, we go back to our normal scheduled episode. I think we have our next one. It's on class. Yes, on class and race. It's the most uncomfortable conversation I have ever had. So make sure to turn in next week and please like us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And and share with your friends. Oh yeah, share with your friends. All right, bye. bye. And remember, every vote counts.